And I'll just I'll just hit the intro. Welcome everybody to uh, another episode of our Workflow Wednesday uh, kind of live video podcast. This week uh, we are joined by director and uh, podcast host Mike Pesci. Um, today we're we're taking a little different angle on this. Um, I mean, we'll probably touch on all of the topics that uh, Mike gets involved with, but um, this week we're going to be focusing on, on the podcast itself. Um, and so, Mike, just in case anybody doesn't already know, go ahead and give yourself a little bit of an intro and uh, some background. I'm Mike. I usually am in the room as the longest beard guy, but today I'm not. Look at this. Look at this move right here. Looking good. Looking good. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, I'm a director. I've been directing for a while. Commercials, movies, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I also have a podcast called In Love With The Process, which we've been doing now for I think we're going on our fourth year soon, which is crazy. Uh, we just this year we passed our hundredth episode. We're now into like the over hundred territory, which is cool. Um, the uh, COVID, as devastating as it's been for a lot of people, it's actually been really good for the podcast. Um, sure. I've been able to get like a lot of really great guests on the show. So our guests have been going up and increasing. Um, so it's been good, dude. Like uh, it's also been keeping me pretty sane because, oh, cool. uh, you know, we're still in Los Angeles. We're still technically in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been good. Cool. Right on. Well, thank you for joining us. And we're also, uh, we also have Eric Brown. Uh, he's our marketing manager, my boss. So everybody behave, um, (laughs) um, as our kind of third, third, third guest here. So, um, thank you guys for, for joining us today. Um, Eric, do you have anywhere? To, I, I'm gonna let you kind of start off because I have a I have a question or two of my own. But if you had anything to get started with, I'll, I'll let you have the opportunity. I mean, I'm I'm super interested. So, you, Mike, you just said something that really interests me. Uh, you mentioned that guests have been going up since uh, since COVID, and I feel like that's actually actually contradicts what a lot of other podcasts have experienced because a lot of podcasts like they. Uh, people are consuming that like while they're going back and forth from work or something like that. And now a lot of people are working from home. Um, so do you have like a feel for why that, why that is that, um, that specifically your podcast is seeing an increase where others are kind of seeing a decrease? It's a weird thing. Like what, what we would normally see prior to COVID would be like day one, like we release on Tuesdays, every Tuesday. So normally it would be like day one, Tuesday. Like when we did the, Obviously, when we did the porn star episode, like day one Tuesday, it was suddenly like flam, you know, and it's like big numbers. You're over into the thousands at that point. And then it would sort of dither out. And if you look at our stats, it would go from like big boy down, 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 down. And then, um, you know, sort of dither out. But then what we were then realizing, especially like almost whatever it's been, five months in COVID or whatever that period of time was, um, the first day in, I would only get like a couple hundred. And I was just like, oh, okay. So now we've seen what's going on here. And this is kind of the the peak and the show sort of dithering down. And then it would just be consistent. 
and consistent, consistent, consistent. And so now I know within like seven days of releasing an episode, the numbers will still be back up to where it was on day one. And I think that's just because people have a lot of different things that they're listening to and a lot of different things that they're subscribing to right now. Um, and so we are still on their list of, of shows to listen to. It's just that they, I think they pick their day when they want to do it. It's not like I'm going to get on the bus and go to work today and I don't want to hear this crazy fucking homeless guy sitting next to me. So I'm going to put on mic and listen <laughs> to the show. Uh, it's random times for this stuff. I wonder, I wonder if, if there's also a benefit to the fact that, and, and obviously this applies to all podcasts though, but I wonder if there's also a benefit to the fact that it seems like content be probably because of coronavirus uh, is, is decreasing across like, you know, on you know Netflix or Hulu or wherever you're watching content. Like a lot of that content is starting to decrease and people are getting like more and more desperate for, uh, for content. So a lot of this type of content is becoming more consumable now. Yeah, I think so. And then we've been experimenting. So Liam, who I think you guys have met Liam. Yeah, you guys all met Liam, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Liam. Yeah, you did. We hung up. Mm -hmm. um, so he was very much in the beginning, like you need to pick a category. You need to pick a topic. You need to pick a, a, a theme for the show and sort of run in it heavy. And the, the obvious way for us to go was like gearhead shit. Or it's just like, today I'm unboxing a fucking bip, 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 bip. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. and that's like every other show that exists right now. Or it's like the faux professionals, which is essentially someone that has watched a bunch of YouTubes and then they just come <laughs> on and they just they spout what they watched on YouTube. <laughs> um, and those categories seem to hit hard because uh, it whoever's putting those shows together sort of finds the pulse of the insecurity of their audience and really sort of tackles it really hard. Um, and I've seen this with like, I don't want to name any names, but specific shows that find success in it. But I don't see that as long-term success. I see you becoming sort of pigeonholed into like, I get it. I know how to use After Effects. Don't need you anymore. You know what I mean? Like that is, is sort of done. And you guys have known me long enough. That's not my gig. I, I feel like it's more of a, this is how you survive and this is the life and this is what's going on. And this is what my life is. And so our show, I've been really sort of widening our topic material, which is a dangerous thing to do when you're trying to pinpoint your topic material to just sort of drive numbers hard towards it. Mm -hmm. um, so in the short period of time, it becomes a little bit more complicated, but then the longer you go, it's fascinating. Yeah, uh, because then you start to have a broader audience of people that are like, I don't necessarily want to listen to your episode with the chef. I'm rather listen to your episode with the musicians, but then they like it's like that Joe Rogan game where like you then have a show that encompasses everything that I like, mm -hmm. um, and then it's a little bit more freeing for me because of you know you just you hit a point where it's like how many colorists am I going to have on the fucking show, <laughs> right, and, right? And what are we going to talk about after? Like, I think I have my third colorist on recently, and she's fantastic. But they just hit a point where I'm like, let's not even talk about color anymore. Like, yeah. If you guys want to know about it, go back a couple episodes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's super interesting because you do see uh, a vast majority uh, of like content creators, like they do tend to go like as you know, you want to go as deep down the rabbit hole as possible. Like you know, just continuing down um, one scope, going like as niche as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting to see like that you've kind of gone the opposite direction of that and continue to open things up. And you see that with like the fact that, you know, you're also doing stuff about, about barbecue. And, I love and, it. Yeah. Yeah. We just like last week's 
was uh, the was the California fires. Mm-hmm. So I like I had um, a battalion chief from Cal Fire, and he's closer up to where you guys are. So he's up north. And uh, I was just sort of sitting around listening to the fucking bullshit because uh, I usually don't get political, but I was just listening to like bullshit comments about like, you know, trees are exploding and we got to go fucking sweep the forests. And, like, <laughs> like, all this sort of baloney. And my brother's a firefighter. And, and so I'm like, and, and living out here in California, like the air quality has been so terrible for the past year. <laughs> You know, there's days where, like, you guys know your air quality's been fucking terrible, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm so close to fires, but also so far from fires where, like, now you'll get an alert and be like, air quality's terrible today. There's a fire going. I'm like, I hope those guys hurry up and f- fix that fire. Like, it's, it's now getting to that point where it's just like, okay, we'll bring the, f- you know, put water on it and get it done. So the air is better. And I just realized, like, I don't know enough about what they do. And... I realized that most people don't know enough about what they do. And the only thing that we're sort of processing is like this bullshit that comes from the political parties where it's like, you know, one guy's like exploding trees and the other people are like, you know, he's an ecological arsonist. And I'm like, that is, that is <laughs> what? Yeah. So, okay. So I did a show with a firefighter and I really wanted to just ask him the questions that you would want to ask him, which is like, yeah, you know, like how, what do you guys do? You guys like, put a fucking backpack on and a shovel and you climb a mountain and they're like, yeah. And it's like, you bring chainsaws up. And I, I saw pictures of dudes in bulldozers, like huge bulldozers, yeah. with like the windows closed, rocking and music, and then just driving into flames. And I'm just like, what job is that? <laughs> uh, so That's it was crazy. a fun episode, but it's completely off the rails. And the first, the first week of it, our numbers weren't high at first. But, you know, over time, people are listening to the show and they're just like, holy shit. And I'm like, that's the point. Yeah. You know? So, Do you find, so you say you've been doing this at like three, four years now. Um, did it start with just um, the topics that kind of you already are knowledgeable on? Uh, and then you just kind of spread out from there for the kind of the extra content. Is it just stuff you're interested in or do you, do you take, um, you know, like suggestions from the audience and things like that. Oh, I totally do. Like this, the audience w- will write to me often and they'd be like, we'd love you to get this person on the show. We'd love you to get this person on the show. And sometimes they're attainable. And I've had a few guests that are people that the audience has asked for. Um, and now I have members like listening members that work in the industry that are like, we love the show. And we have a list of people that we have access to that we want to hear you talk to. And so hey. Now I get lists from like really great people like uh, my buddy Andrew over at uh, Company 3 who's a colorist. He's been sending, I think, who did he send that were big ones? He sent a bunch that were big ones. And then I had a friend that was a friend of a producer. And then I was like, look, I want to get a couple directors on for horror. Um, And so like I'm talking to the dude that directed like uh, Blair Witch I'm talking to like a bunch of other folks that are interested to get on the show. That's kind of how, how did we get not the Mel Gibson, not the guys from fat man this week. They were for me. I just saw like a trailer and I wrote to them. That's cool. Um, but then next week's are the two guys that directed that new Lucy movie with, um, what's his name from uh, King of Queens there. 
Who's the who's the fat guy from King of Queens? Remember that show? Oh, yeah. Um, the, the same guy from Paul Blart, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he's in it. He plays like a neo-Nazi, and it's pretty wild. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, those guys came from suggestion. I'm ranting. Those guys came from a suggestion from somebody else. So. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, it must be fairly remote, kind of like how we're doing, doing this sort of a thing. What kind of, like um, – technical challenges early on did you have with that and and like what did you do to kind of overcome that well when we first you know we kind of like i got my head wrapped around how to do things technically because of filmmaking for a while okay so like in the beginning first couple of episodes i was coming at it more from like a filmmaker's perspective and, and wanting to make the show as like immersive and great as possible and so i was editing a lot of it so I, I was literally spending like two three days to cut in sound effects and cut in all that kind of shit and that's why i wasn't regularly releasing episodes because i would it would take me multiple days to do it and then i'm like what the fuck am i doing this for like they hit a point where i'm like how much am i getting paid what am i spending like a week and a half on an episode for right and so then i i had to try to come up with a way to do it as succinct as possible. So it was, all right, I'm just going to do, I'll do my ad reads and my intro separately and I'll have to cut those in, but I'm, okay. I'm not going to edit the main content of the show unless someone says something that I have to pull out. So I'm just going to full throttle through that. And that was, we were doing that for about a year and change. And then recently I just got uh, a roadcaster and I know I'm wearing their hat. Mm. They're not, they're not sponsored. They should be sponsored. They're not sponsored. Oh, that's a mark on my bingo. Uh, they're not a sponsor, but they should be. <laughs> um, so I got the Roadcaster because I wanted to do a lot more live stuff. And the Roadcaster is really great. I can actually uh, load in all my samples. I can load in all my music and all my sounds and live do it with four microphone input plus uh, computer uh, USB input plus Bluetooth input. So when I did the hundredth episode, I did that all live. So like everybody was calling in and everybody was dialing in and I had all the music queued and all the sound effects queued. And I just beep, beep, beep. And it's great. Cause it, it, it really speeds up the show. Um, it's a little bit different when I have to do stuff online. Cause we use like Zencaster or one of the mm -hmm. websites. And that still has to come in. And so then we have to edit that as that comes through. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd like to get to the point, honestly, I'd like to get to the point where we get out of COVID. I get a studio space here. We start videotaping the show. The show becomes a YouTubeable show. Mm -hmm. And then I just do, we just do them live. Cause then um, it, like, it's really just about that turnaround time mm -hmm. where the turnaround time is so obnoxious and me having to do post-production so obnoxious and, at this point, I figured out a system where even if we have to cut it, I can record an episode that'll take two hours. The post processing for the episode will probably take about 45 minutes. And then I got to build graphics. I got to build Instagram videos. I got to build uh, uh, web videos. And now we're starting to put this stuff on YouTube. So now it has to go on fucking YouTube. And so overall you're looking at it and what i try to do and liam picks up a lot in slack but what i try to do is excuse me like mondays are are just like straight eight hour podcast day and it's just wow. like go right through it um 
because you need all that material and it just takes a lot of fucking time to create all those pieces you know yeah that's the part that i um i'm still trying to learn a good process for is um like the redistribution part of it cutting up clips and and putting those for like youtube or um instagram and instagram stories and things like that which i've taken quite a bit of inspiration from your little your little uh audiogram things for that sort of a deal just trying to get a feel for our own um kind of look and feel for it but yeah it's hard it's tough it's it's tough and then you know you hit a point where you i get so frustrated with instagram because uh, without going down a a deep (laughs) rabbit hole but it, it, it's like, you know, how many followers do I have on Instagram? It's like 35,000 or whatever. And they're legit follower. They're mm. like, legit. I didn't buy any of those. That's all legitimate people that interact. Um, but the problem is, is that Instagram needs to make money. They like to charge their users right. to make money. And so they cap off how many of my followers see any of my posts. And they start to get their hands wrapped around what posts are me advertising something. So then they start capping them off. So I'll do some rando mm. fucking post about like James Bond running across the roof and I'll get, you know, 25,000 likes. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do a post about my podcast. And when I was originally doing podcast posts, I get like 500, 600, 800 likes. And now I'm getting like 200 likes. Huh. And so they're, you're hitting this point where people aren't, they're not not liking the show. They just don't see the posts because mm-hmm. of whatever bullshit fucking algorithm these guys are running. And so you're consistently combating this algorithm. And now, yeah. even though I make these really great little clips that apparently a lot of people watch and like, I'm concerned that, that Instagram now understands what those clips are for. And right. so they're capping off how many people. And then they're like, how would you like to pay to advertise it? Right. I've done this. I've paid. Mm-hmm. I've been like, yeah, I'll do the pay for advertisement thing. Great. And then I look at it, who it goes to, and it goes to my fucking followers. And so what they're doing <sighs> is they're capping it off, and then they're advertising it to my followers and not advertising it to new community. Huh. And I'm just like, there's the rub, man. There's yeah. The rub. I do. I do think that's something that you can specifically uh, specify, though. Uh, that you can say, like, don't show it to anyone that already follows me. But I also would rather that they weren't capping it on who they were showing it to, so that I could go through that process of doing it. Hmm. Like, I have thirty-five thousand fucking followers. When I do a post, I would expect at least half of them sure. to see that post as soon as I put it up. Hmm. You know, it isn't the, it's the whole game on like who comments on it quickly and how many people have commented on quickly and what do they say and then okay, that will add it to your to your followers' feed. And I'm like, ah. All right. it's a it's a fight, dude, because then yeah. people are like, I, I don't know how many people we just started doing mail lists, email lists. Oh, right on. And um I think we're doing like MailChimp or something. I just started it. And I don't know how many people like responded to it. That were like, I didn't know you had a podcast. I'm like, how, how the fuck do you not know I have a podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah. You never see any of your stuff on Instagram. Wow. wow. I can say, uh, just from my end of things, I've noticed since we, we've really doubled down on um, like a newsletter, a regular newsletter, um, I've seen a good response in that, which blows my mind because like I'm coming from, I'm I'm fairly young. I come from the early days of the internet. And like to me, email is 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 dead is old like why would anybody i i hate checking my email as much as i hate checking the post box but like it's still wildly effective like it blows my mind 
Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's, it's, it's now it's a whole other like workflow where it's like, now you have to write content for those things. Now you have to like, and you're like, fuck man. And, and so, so you hit a point with this show, this show needs to get bigger because it needs to have a staff. And if you have a staff of folks doing stuff for it, then you have a well-oiled machine. And so the, the, you're able to put the content out at the level that most people take for granted. Right. You know, you look at like uh, Tom Segura's show and your mom's house. Um, those guys are killing it right now. But they also have a staff of like, I'd say four or five people plus mm-hmm. a producer, you know, and these guys are, you know, you go into their space and it seems like it's a small thing, but you go in there and there are rooms of dudes that are just like fucking, you know, captioning the podcast, you know, oh, wow. going through and captioning stuff and like creating clips and doing all that. And then the exchange of uh, dealing with the fans and bringing in fan content and then, um, you know, booking guests. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so actually, yeah, glad you mentioned that actually. Cause like, so, um, uh, just listening to your most recent podcast, uh, or just recent episode, it sounds like this was recorded like maybe last week or, or no, you said toward the end of October, I think is what you mentioned. So, um, clearly you have these scheduled out, you pre-recorded it's, it's post-process edited and all that stuff ahead of the release. Um, what's, what's your, what's your trick or magic or your flow for, uh, building up that sort of, um, backlog, I guess. There is no trick to it. It's it's essentially, (sighs) look, I had to start doing that because I get, I, this isn't my full-time job. So like I'll get pulled into something and Liam now isn't on, on my coast. He's back on the East coast Mm. and he's going to school too. So, um, we will just have weeks where like, I'm just like, I'm off the fucking grid, man. Cause I'm in the middle of an editor. I'm in the middle of something. And so the show needs to stay consistent. Right. And so what I do is I just sort of hit a point where I'm like, all right, I've got a little bit of time. I got to book the shit out of the show. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just go through and try to book as many guests as possible. We started using um, uh, Calendly, I guess is what they call it, Calendly Online, which is great. And there's an actual like link that I can send my guests and say, like, pick within this certain amount of time, pick your time and pick your dates so and they can book their dates, oh. which is helpful for a lot of guests. Um, but yeah, no, dude, we... And, and then guests are so flimsy. So like they will either fall apart or, or not. So then you're trying not to overbook, but then you're running the risk of overbooking. Like for mm-hmm. one week, <laughs> there was a point where, where we had like two guests a day. Wow. And, and Liam was just going with it. He's like, I, I gave him the reins. I'm like, yeah, you, you got some connections, book some guests. The next thing I know, I'm like looking at my calendar. I'm like, dude, I'm literally talking into a microphone for like six hours. Wow. I'm not going to be able to do all these people this week. Um, And so then you just stack them. And then if you have like a good post-production strategy and ours can be tighter, if you have a good post-production strategy, then at that point, Liam is just going, okay, so it's Monday. What do we have left in our queue? I'll do this episode. I'll do that episode. And when he has extra time, he'll bang out some extra episodes and have them queued. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's hard for us to get to that point. Yeah. Um, Wait, so you said that Liam is still helping out, but he's over on the East Coast now. Uh, how, like, how does that workflow work um, with with both of you needing access to uh, to all the footage on that? 
so what we tend to do is and i will probably need a better workflow but right now we're just using google drive so like we'll we'll record a whole show we have a, a folder system set up and then i'll just upload uh my end of stuff to there and then he liam's like incredibly organized um and he'll go through and just organize it out and go like because he he's he's like a fucking android so he goes through (laughs) and he's like these are all the pieces this is the elements um he's been really great too what we're trying to do right now which i haven't heard on since he's going to school his schools um need him to do an internship and they'll pay him oh, to do cool and so the one move that i've been able to do with him is because uh, i can't afford to pay him so the one move i do is i'm I, I sign up with the internships with the school so that he gets literally paid to work with me oh neat as as an intern yeah. that's cool that's really so, neat because i feel terrible about it but it, it just comes down to time in and eyes on on shit and like getting more sponsors and we've got you know you guys we've got a bunch of other sponsors that have been really great we're talking to like able right now uh, right before covid which sucks right before covid we were working on a deal with able um and hopefully i could do it but we were working on a deal with those guys where they would send me to film festivals and then do live podcasts at film festivals so cool and because like if we go to Sundance and they book like a spot and we bring in all the cameras and shit, I'll be able to run through for like a week all the hot new DPs, all the hot new actors, all the hot new folks, and then just sort of stack up a nice uh, queue of content yeah, for months. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. So, like, that was a deal that we're working with them. Like I... We should talk about stuff. Like, there's a bunch of stuff that I think that needs to happen with it. We're starting to see the ceiling of our show because right now we only release on uh, uh, what do we do? We do SoundCloud and then RSS feed everywhere else. Oh, okay. So, um, and I just had a conversation with someone about it last night. They're like, "Why are you not doing Spotify or one of these other companies?" I'm like, "I don't want to give them my content. I, I feel like." Oh. RSSing it, I could just yank the RSS feed and like yanks all the fucking content from everybody. So sure. like, like Spotify's paying Joe Rogan how much to have a fucking podcast for him. Like, oh, why like would a, I? A bunch. Them, yeah, why would I give them my content for free? I'll just put it on uh, SoundCloud. And I've also noticed that there isn't been an outlet for podcasters that's done really well. You know what I mean? Other than YouTube. Sure. Because YouTube has that suggestion algorithm. Right. Right. So as long as you're falling into whatever their, you know, Christian belief system is with their kid content now, <laughs> falling in that range of shit, then you'll be suggested. And right. You'll keep going with it. Um, but hmm. like Spotify. Yeah. Like I'm not getting like randos. They're like, I found you on Spotify. You know what I mean? Right. It's like. That's that's interesting you mentioned because I've I've heard that in other spaces too that like basically YouTube is the best place for discoverability like whatever your content might be, um, put it on YouTube because that's that's the way to that you're going to be found by like random people like you were saying, um, man that's that kind of sucks. <laughs> it does because then YouTube comes with this whole other dilemma. Like I haven't done much. I started doing the new season on YouTube and I reached out to that artist and I have that really cool loop now with the girl. Yeah. All that stuff because 
Um, I didn't want to just do this. I feel like a lot of people are just doing the Zoom recorded calls kind of right. thing. And so then the only difference is it's just my face instead of whatever other person's face is on there. And, you know, being a visualist all the time, it's like there's a bunch of really cool things that we could do with this. Um, and I think that there's magic when you get people in a space. Yeah, yeah, together. Yeah, because you we've done podcasts in the space. Like when you're in the space, like whether we're on the road and in the middle of a bar and we're recording in a bar or we're doing something – it's just more of a great experience for the viewer. It's more mm-hmm. of a great experience for the guests. And more importantly, it's a better experience for me because selfishly I'm making connections with people. Right. And so, you know, doing it over this thing is really difficult. Yeah. Because I'm looking at myself right now. <laughs> yeah. So like it's 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 really hard to do that. So YouTube, I think we haven't found our success on YouTube yet just because we haven't been on it long enough and I'm not filming things. I think once things start to get filmed, then um, there's a success. But then that requires like a whole other group of people. Well, it's just like now I'm doing video production, post-production, and I'm doing audio post-production. And I'm right. I'm super curious because you you said something earlier about um, you know that that this isn't this isn't like this is your job you know um, so like ideally I imagine ideally in the future um, this isn't what you're doing with a majority of your time so I'm kind of curious like what what do you imagine like the future of the podcast being then when once your time is taken by by all the other stuff well I've talked to Liam about this he's really great and if we ended up getting enough money I'd probably bring him on full time to basically run the show as far as producing is concerned. And then we've talked about this with the movie stuff because one of the movies potentially will kick. And so that's a big thing. I'm going to get pulled off of doing the movie stuff. And if one of the movies goes, then I want to do a whole season about it where it's just like, here's what it's like to be doing a film. And here's what the whole process of that is like. And then that's going to be cool. It'd be great if I can convince the studio to let me do it. It'd be great because then I'll just bring in all the producers. I'll bring in all the crew. I'll bring in all the actors. And then I'll have a small team on the podcast world that are paid to do this stuff, led by Liam or whoever else. And they'll, they'll just have the thing set up once a week. Mm-hmm. And I could just walk in once a week and be like, all right, cool. I got two hours. Boom. And then spit everything out once a week. And then the show continues to go. I mean, that's ultimately what the goal would be. I've seen dudes do it really well. Uh, uh, Tim uh, or Ted over at Indie Mogul, they've got a really cool setup out here in Glendale, actually. they got a really cool studio set up. Um, and he's got his boys, and he just goes in there, and they actually do a lot of the prep work for him, which is nice. Oh, right on. Um, I think one of the reasons why when you listen to the, my show, it always seems like I'm on the verge of sounding like a fucking moron. It's because I don't have someone doing prep for me. And most of it is stream of consciousness. Um, but there's charm in that, I suppose. A little bit. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, no, it's a difficult, it's a difficult uh, thing. Because then, you know, then, you know, ultimately my job is directing and ultimately that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of hit this point of like, am I 
one of those guys on YouTube that's just talking about everybody else working and my heyday of working, or am I a fucking guy that's working? And it's, yeah. how do I make it work? So I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated money. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's a it's a budget. It's a it's a good plan. It's a budget, and then it's saying, okay, here's what we're gonna do for a year on this budget. See if the show picks up. I bring in my small staff of folks that are really excited to do it, and we just fucking hammer out content. And with anything on on YouTube or anything else, I think as long as you're consistent, mm-hmm. like fans love our our show. People really do, and people love our content, and they appreciate the consistency. Right. And it's like baseball. You know what I mean? Like people will tune into baseball, not necessarily to watch the game, but to feel the comfort of knowing that the announcer's voice, knowing mm-hmm. that repetition. Um, and so I think it's just being consistent. So, so I got to ask, like speaking of like your normal work, so you, uh, I think like before this started, you you briefly mentioned, uh, was it B. Miller that you, that you were talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were you were involved. Uh, you and Gina were both involved on that project, right? Yeah, Gina's uh, it's her company doing it. I'm just, I'm I'm the behind the scenes. I'm the. Uh, uh, so I, I'm just like I'm blown away at so like I, I'm very curious of how it went from. I, I feel like I saw this post on Instagram of like her just showing up at your guys' house or something. Um, and then next thing you know, like two, three, four weeks later, all of a sudden there's like billboards in Times Square. Yeah. <laughs> how did that happen? Like, how did you, how did you get from like point A to, to Z there? Um, well, you know, uh, Gina was hired by them, uh, initially to run an entire campaign. So what they did to their credit, what they did is they uh, were, they said to Gina, like, we love your vibe because they had worked together on a magazine shoot prior to this. And so they were like, we really love your vibe. We're putting together an album release. We're doing all this stuff. We'd love you to come in and not just take photos and do stuff, but I'd love, love you to creative direct like the entire campaign. And Gina was like, well, just so happens that I'm building a company that is that that is a rebranding of stuff. Like if you look at her Instagram account, it's, I think it's redefining icons. And that's kind of what she's attempting to do is come in and they, they, she's got a really good system where she'll meet with the artist and they get to know each other first, which is completely the antithesis of how this business normally works, hmm. which is like, someone's going to put out an album or someone's going to release something and the label desperately at the back end is like, well, we need some fucking music videos and we need this and we need that. And so it's like this grab. And then there's a whole system in place of like label reps. I'm, I'm sorry, music video director reps and all these different people that put themselves between the artist and the creators hmm. and so then there's this whole game that normally happens which is like send us treatments and then you're a director going i don't know who the fuck this person is and you listen to their song and you're like i think about dolphins with machine guns on their head you know? and, like, <laughs> and then you write a treatment about dolphins with their machine guns on their head and then this musician usually on a tour bus in between going on sets their label is coming and breathing down their neck going, we need to promote this fucking album. You need to do a music video. And they're like, what? And they're like, here's a stack of treatments. And they hand them a stack of treatments. And that person 
and I know this from for fact, talking to Killswitch, talking to all these different bands, they'll flip through it and they'll fucking make fun of the treatments. And they'll be like, can you believe that someone listened to the song about my dead dad and they thought about a dolphin with a fucking machine gun on his head? Oh, you wow. know what I mean? And so that's the disconnect that is normally there between Weird. creatives and creatives. There are people in the middle that are making nice money, but that's the disconnect. And so hmm. what Gina did, did really well with this was like, I don't want any of that. I want to meet her. I want to hang out with her. Let's have a conversation about where she is right now, where she is in her life and what's happening with that. And then I will create based upon what I know of you. And so then it's that rebranding process that the artist feels more involved with. And Gina obviously can be more focused on. And then at the back end of that, um, you can then plan out how to spend the money adequately. So, so then it's like, okay, so this is how much money we have. Here's a campaign of what we need. Here's the rollout that we're going to do. Um, and then throw COVID into the situation. <laughs> that changes everything. Like now I got to use no crews and small teams. And, and so like it, it's consistently been evolving for them. I think at one point it started, she was just going to get like a good webcam and send a webcam to her and have her set up a camera on the web and do that. That just looks like shit. And there's so much of that that's been out there. And so then she evolved it to getting like high-end GoPros and like high-end smaller cameras and then uh, quarantining herself with the artist. And then just shooting these things with her and the artist. Wow. A lot of these videos and a lot of this photography, it's just her and the artist. And we quarantined, the artist would quarantine. You do COVID tests every week. And then... Like that image that ended up on Times Square, Gina shot in our driveway here at night what? with like a flashlight or something or like one, one, one light. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, because ultimately it isn't about the quality that you're shooting it at. It's about the tone. Sure. And since they spent that really good time initially together, the tone is right. And if you look at all this content, she sort of has this like... I'm a girl, but I'm also confident, but I'm also insecure. I'm a little bit crazy. And that tone has been consistent through everything that we've put together and that she's, she's directed. So it's, dude, you haven't seen half of it. Like we've only, Gina, how many videos have you released at this point? Including lyric videos? Yeah. Twelve videos. Oh, because the lyric videos. Yeah. The lyric videos were up there. Seven. Wow. Seven music videos, and we've only put out, you've only put out what like three? three. Three. Yeah. So there's wow. four more coming. Plus, they're doing like this big event, this big live thing that she's uh, creative directing. So there's a lot of content that is coming out for her, um, and the videos are radically different, but they all feel the same. And you should see the bullshit. I'll show. Hold on. I'll show you the camera that she. <laughs> you guys are always got on my. So you guys are. I know a lot of the people watching the show are like tech savvy, and they're like watching the latest new tech programs, and like, what is the newest hottest camera in the fucking market? All right, so. All her like really clean stuff. It's just simply done with a. This is a oh, GoPro yeah. like, eight. This is an eight. So it's a simple little GoPro eight, which is fun because it's four K. You can zoom in on the footage and all that stuff. That's the basic stuff. <laughs> the other shit, we shot with this guy. What? 
Huh. Hey, that's kind of cool. That's like old, like uh, like DV style, right? It's got probably like a it's cartridge a or something. Yeah. That's cool because like that's got to that's got to make for like a really cool like aesthetic, like the look of that uh, kind of the you don't have to fake the the film grain or whatever. Like it already it's like it has, built in. it has a specific look. And then at the end of the day, what would happen is, is that you would shoot it with like super pristine, clean 4K footage. And you're like, oh, I got to find some filters. I got to find some overlays. And it kind of all looks the same. And the benefit of doing the little camera is that there isn't much you can do. So, mm-hmm. like, you can't be a perfectionist with it. So it sort of strips away everything. So she's shooting without a crew and a team, and she's like, I'm just going to put the night vision on the fucking high eight. Then that's what it is. And, it, like, if it fits the aesthetic, it works really well. So wow, um, that's how you were able to see the insane amount of stuff that's coming out. I've seen you guys uh, posting stuff that I think you like. You were calling like the dad cam or something. <laughs> and I like, didn't. You know, that was for sure. Putting filters over over what you shot with the GoPro or something. Yeah. Well, and then we still are to a certain extent because we have to make some things match. But then, then, then you, I hate that game because then you end up in perfectionist land. Hmm. The, there's that whole move where it's like, I need to make this feel more random and analog. But then when you're starting to put things on it, then people are like, that doesn't really feel analog. And you're just like, okay, this sort of neglects the whole, like the, the idea is that you're not supposed to have any control. That's the purpose of it. Yeah. So um, it's fun. So you, so you were talking about that new, like kind of um, direct to creator relationship. Um do you feel like I feel like you're starting to see them a little bit more? Do you feel like that is largely like because of coronavirus, where like they want to get fewer people involved, um, and so it's just like that direct relationship? There's a big part of that. I think you're seeing a big part of that. I think you're also seeing because of coronavirus, a lot of people having to close up shop because they haven't been able to survive with it. So you're you're seeing a lot more desperation. You're seeing people sort of strip down to like the bare essentials of stuff. So like, you know, getting signed by a production company right now is probably pretty slim unless the production company looks at you and goes, we want your clients. But mm. um, yeah. And then I don't know. I, I think that because of the internet and because of access, people are able to access people directly now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that with the podcast. I mean, and just becoming verified on Instagram really changed uh, the people that I was able to reach out to. Wow. So like just getting the little blue check. Yeah. Um, cause then when they go through their inbox, they go through their, their comment selections. They're like, who's this important person? Because that blue check is so like, you know, well, who the fuck oh, am I? You kind of stand out. Yeah. So like, uh, it works. And then, and so then I can reach out to big people. And as long as their mailbox, like I'm desperately trying to get Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I've been desperately pushing for Arnold. Um, but his mailbox, you know, is just crammed full of stuff. He's not even looking. Right, right. But that, I mean, I've got a lot of really great guests on the show because of the verification. People are like, who is this person? And is he legit? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So I'd like to take a, a couple of questions from that we've got in from YouTube. Um, in particular, we'll start with uh, Matteo Parenti. He asks, uh, as a freelance artist, which media platform is best, in your opinion, to work on in partnership with? What do you mean? Work on? What do you mean? Read that question again. So as a, as a freelance artist, which media platform is the best, in your opinion, to work on or in partnership with? 
So I'm assuming he means like what sort of media platform are you posting your stuff to? That's that's how I interpreted that too. Like like which do you find more? I suppose the the best success on like Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, I got it. Yeah. Well, as a as if you're a visual person, if you're someone that's creating content that you're gonna watch, Twitter sucks for it. Twitter is like Twitter is the place that you want to go if you are feeling nasty that day and you want to like flame somebody or cancel somebody. Like that's what Twitter. <laughs> Uh, like um, Instagram is the only place to really post visual stuff for a couple reasons. One, it's a visual platform, slideshow, everything else sort of works for that. Two, if you're looking to be hired by creative directors, they all are on Instagram and they all poach from Instagram. That's what they do. I mean, we're all addicted to this thing. We're like, yeah, we're drooling with dopamine. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they're like, well, since I'm on here looking at hot chicks, I'll also look for clients. You know what I mean? So it all kind of works that way. Um, so Instagram is definitely a place if you're a visualist to post your stuff. And then YouTube, uh, of course, everybody knows YouTube and gets access to YouTube. So depending upon the content that you're doing, like we talked about earlier, their suggestion algorithm works really well as long as you're not saying shit on your show that isn't kid-friendly. <laughs> then it's this whole – I don't know how they do it, but I was watching Tom Segura's show, and there's a system that he has in place where he's not allowed to say specific things within the first 10 minutes. Uh. And they try their damnedest not to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll, they'll be like, you know, baby fucker. And then they'll look on camera with their producer, and you'll see the producer just being like – and it's like, okay, well, we destroyed the algorithm. <laughs> there is something going on with YouTube that I'm not 100% sure of. Um, uh, Vimeo. Vimeo is great as far as like quality is concerned. And it's like kind of the pro for the in-industry stuff. So like if you're a DP and you put your stuff up on Vimeo, that's expected because the quality is great. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know though. Like you, you guys know my philosophy on releasing my movies. I don't put my movies up for free. Uh, I have all my stuff on lockdown, um, just specifically, not to make money, although I should, but not to make money. It's more to get the audience, to get people to look at it that really want to look at it. Sure. It's it's like it's like back in the day when your friend had. <laughs> It's like back in the day when your friend went and somehow at 16 years old got a Playboy Playmate video cassette. You know what I mean? And he had like the Jen McCarthy fucking Playboy Playmate. <laughs> and it was the thing that like you couldn't get your hands on. And so like everybody had to like, you had to like find your time. It's like, can I borrow it this week? You know what I mean? And so like that, that engagement, that's such a random analogy, but that engagement works really well. Uh, on the internet, because if it's out yeah. there for free, no one really respects it. Sure, it just sure. gets lost in the sea of bullshit. But if it's if it's someone coming up to you going, "I got this fucking thing," and you, the only way you're going to be able to see it is if you engage. Um, it's special. No, yeah, I think that's actually really clever because um, like, you do see a lot of advice of just like put out put out all your content as much as you can, put out everything you've got for free. Um, but I feel like that's it's almost it's almost like too much like you'll get lost in the noise and so i like that idea of kind of like teasing it a little like you've put out you put out a trailer for 12 12 kilometers a, a couple times but then it's like it's, it's always in the comments like hey if you like what you see and you want to i'm i'm all three people today i'll give the link to and 
I think that's really smart. I think yeah, that's because what ends up happening is I'll send them a link and um, I'll they'll not only get the show now. So now if you send me a link or if I end up sending you a link and I'm giving it out right now to people that are buying T-shirts because I got a handful of T-shirts. But if I send you um, the link to the show or to the movie, not only do you get to see the movie, but there's also a special podcast involved and there are also uh, instructions on where to leave reviews. And so there's very specific review instructions. That's and cool. if you go to IMDb, for a while I was doing them on IMDb, and that short has more reviews than features have, just because I've been for years just sort of driving people over there to leave the reviews on IMDb. I don't know how many we have now. We, we have almost 500. Wow. So, so it's, it's like... Uh, it's a great exchange because the people love reading reviews and then I'll post their reviews and then they're just like, and sometimes people will write to me and cause the movie's so weird. They'll be like, what the fuck does this mean? I'm like, what do you think it means? And then we talk about it. And then there's that exchange that happens, which is great. Um, yeah. and, and then you start to have real loyal fans that are willing to do something and not mm-hmm. just passive fans. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, I think the exclusivity side of it is, is really smart too because people also love talking about things that other people don't have access to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 and like I, I just think about this on such a level I think about it from when I was a kid right and so when I was a kid and I'm watching stuff and I'm, it was like alright so David Fincher if I had access to David Fincher when he was doing Seven and it was like he was online and I would write things to him and he did this thing where I was like, if you want to see some of my stuff, I would even pay for it. If he was like, Hey, look, you know, for 2000 bucks, you can be part of my inner group and you'll, you'll be heard just knowing that I'm in that mix and he's hearing my voice. And that's a really important part of it. That'd be really fucking cool. And, um, I wish that happened because then I based my entire early career based upon the propaganda that was around his career. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, wow, I'm going to direct music videos and I'm going to make millions on these things. And if I follow his path and this is the system that's going to happen. And then come to find out later that that was all bullshit. And it was just promotional marketing campaign stuff. Wow. And so you're as a kid that is on the outskirts and you don't know shit about the industry because it's a very quiet, closed door industry for real. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, how do I form a business plan? What do I do? And, and you know, that was kind of the, the fall of my first company where we initially were doing well with music videos. We're like, we're going to have a career doing music videos. And based upon the budgets of this, we'll do like three or four of those a year and be good. And then the rest of the time we'll just, you know, make movies. And it was like, Oh no, the budgets aren't there. And Hmm. So um, that was based on bullshit. My, uh, what's his name? Big black Delta, who was on my podcast. I love him as an artist. Uh, Jonathan is his name in real life. Him and I like close in age. We're both Gen Xers. And he had a comment on that show that was really great. He's like, we use 90s brain. He calls it 90s brain. And it's because we came up in the 90s and we were looking at the heyday of high paid advertising, mm-hmm. heyday of high paid music videos, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that's what we built our models around was mm. that world and what we weren't counting on was fucking Napster was yep. like YouTube was like all the like Pornhub all these places that 
somehow come back from Silicon Valley, like come in and they become these delivery systems that don't want to pay for content or can't initially afford to create content. So they sort of turned a blind eye to creative commons licensing and shit. So mm -hmm. like if you look at the origins of YouTube, it was like one of the first websites that you were allowed to post copyrighted material and it wouldn't get pulled down right away. Right. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's still there if you look. Like you can find full movies and stuff out there. Like it's yeah. <laughs> they're like, huh. It's not on us. It's on the user. But also right. that meant that their whole website had all this content. And the same thing if you look at like you know Pornhub. Like those guys have destroyed that entire industry. Like the adult industry is dead because of it. Because that entire website was based upon posting clips that they didn't own the copyright to. Yeah. Crazy. So it's nuts. Now they run the industry and all these companies have to bow to them and send them stuff for free. Jeez. Huh. Anyway, long <laughs> Sure. Well, no, that, that kind of brings up an interesting point though. Like, so um, in previous, when I've spoken with other content creators, um, especially in the film and photography, there's usually um, kind of a positive spin to having lowered the, the barrier to entry. Like anybody can take their cell phone and make a, a great film or take amazing pictures with very little like um, training or, or post-production and stuff. Um, but it seems like, has that watered down the way creatives are being viewed? Like it's, it's so easy now that like eh, the, the higher quality stuff maybe is like less respected. I don't think it's less respected. I just think that there is, um, I think people are just get tired. There's a word for it, but they just get tired. You, you're consistently looking at content consistently. Mm -hmm. Like you're on your people are on their, on their phones like how many hours a day? Right. And you're sort of scrolling through and you're seeing like high quality images. You're seeing stuff. So like the the actual beauty of, of seeing something that you've never seen before is very rare. It's like a rare beast at this point. Like I was watching a doc on the origins of Star Wars and and I wish that we can have that same sort of experience where people go to a theater and they see stuff that they've never seen before. Like the first time that Jurassic Park came out, you're just like, oh. holy shit. And those filmmakers were doing a really great job with story too, but there was a period of time where you could rely on the spectacle mm -hmm. because sure. people hadn't seen it before. And so when they lowered the bar, and honestly, who lowered the bar? The manufacturers lowered the bar. So the manufacturers were like, look, there's an actual, there's a better business model in building pro in building prosumer products as a bit instead of doing professional products. Because now we can get every you know average Joe who thinks they want to do this to randomly drop a dime on a new camera or a new thing. So they started to just lower all that stuff. Which made it easier in the beginning for me because I was like coming out of the film period where I wouldn't have been able to afford a 35 millimeter film camera and a DP cinematographer at that time to make my shorts. So I was able to do stuff with like early digital cameras. Sure. That enabled to put the, the pieces in my hands and then DSLRs coming on the market and, and being able to change lenses, changed the game because now you have different focal lengths that kind of look like cinema and so that changed the game all the way down to now with your iPhone and your iPhone shooting like high quality shit. 
So now anybody and everybody can shoot a pretty image. And mm -hmm. most of it, they're not doing, there's no talent to pull. Right. Most of it, it's just like the automatic settings on that camera, kill it. And if you look at like a lot of photography stuff, it's like go near a window, get that natural daylight, and then just take your camera out and push a little screen and and then it'll take a picture for you and then you're good. You see the difference of that. Like when we would do in our stuff, you see the difference of that when you're in a space where you're like, I got to light this. Right. I got to light this thing. I got to make this thing look completely different. And now I have to start using techniques and skills and tricks and all that sort of stuff. But that doesn't necessarily translate into the final product all the time. So like Simon may find like a really rad video of a dog barfing on the back of a cat and it looks <laughs> so fucking gorgeous and that gets like, you know, how many millions of views and then I'll spend two years of my life doing like hardcore manipulation and hardcore um, uh, real life exchange stuff to make something that's really pretty and then they're both in the same format mm. and that sucks because at the end of the day if, if I haven't loaded my content with dopamine porn it's not going to get as much in interest as this one and by dopamine porn I mean like cats dogs cheeseburgers tits like all that stuff that is so easy to do and so now you're seeing content creators have to cater to that where it's sure. like i need to have a cute dog in it or now i need to have social issues in my thing or now i need to have this and now studios are catering to it it's become such an out of control beast that now studios and, and, and movie marketing places are just like okay so you want to make a horror movie it needs to be social messaging horror movie and you're like mm. It's not even fucking scary. And they don't even care that it's not scary. They they just care that they can be like, look, at, we're changing the world. You know, and you're like, got it. Do you, do you think there's any, um, I don't know, is there any, what's the way to put it? Are people chasing the wrong thing? Um, like instead of, instead of chasing what's going to hit the right pieces of the algorithm, like, is it is it actually that what needs to happen is that creators also need they don't need to just own the content they need to own the distribution of the content um, yeah or the distribution model just needs to change and they're not going to change it because it's successful for them right now because there's a bunch of people that are just like give me cheese you know what i mean um right. but like it, I, it's fresh in my mind so there's a doc on fucking Disney Plus, but there's a doc on the um, the origins of Star Wars and they were talking about the trouble that Lucas had getting the first one made mm -hmm. and how hard it was for him to get the first one made and what a nightmare it was for him to get the first one made, like onset production problems, like trying to convince people to make a space movie that was like a kid's movie was a, a nightmare. And the only reason why that movie got made was because one of the execs at Fox believed in him that was it all the other execs and everybody else were looking at the plan going like space movies don't do well right now you know they're all depressing as shit <laughs> we don't want to deal with this like doesn't make any sense to us and this one exec was like i completely agree with them like space movies aren't doing well all that stuff but i like you as a creator hmm. i believe in you as a creator and Power to I forget the guy's name, but power to him because then Lucas was dealing with like terrible shoots and like the 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 uh, the effects looking like crap. 
and the actors not really working out and like everything falling apart. So for like the first three or four months, it was a nightmare. And still that exec was like, I still believe in you and I'm still with you. And that's how Star Wars was able to be made. Wow. Ultimately, that support system was there. And nowadays, there's so many people that want to enter the marketplace. There's so much competition out there that there's no fucking loyalty. There's no loyalty on any front. There's no loyalty whether you're dealing with clients. There's no loyalty if you're dealing with studios or execs. Like everybody's looking for that fast cash, Hmm. make me some money. Let's do this thing. And, And it's rare. A24 actually does it. It's rare that a studio will come in and go, we believe in this director. And we know that the only way something's going to be amazing is if they mess up a lot. And they have the freedom to mess up. And they have the freedom to find it. And it's not a sure bet. And in that discovery is when we have all these movies that we grew up loving and everybody wants to recreate. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we'll see, um, and I know we've kind of gotten off of the whole podcast uh, topic, but I wonder if we'll see sort of more niche distribution, like uh, like Shudder for horror or, um, you know, where it'll be very specific like like you said like instagram is is whatever you want to whatever you want to look at you can find it youtube same deal but like but that sort of um clouds the message people will will bow to the algorithm so i wonder if we'll start seeing spaces where um where it's it's niche it's very specific to the and you're able to kind of uh take risk like oh i want to make a horror film but i don't want i want it to be like a classic you know like the thing right um but i can't do that because everybody wants you know bloomhouse style horror so if but if i go if i can put it out on this channel you know i can i, I have a better option i could be shutter, does that. shutter definitely does that but the problem ultimately is there's so many different outlets out there so it's about getting cash it's about getting that capital it's about getting enough subscribers for your for your buck i've always been a firm believer in finding a good i'd rather make movies for a specific market mm-hmm and do really well for that market. Yeah. And then do the whole broad, let's do everything and let's try to make a million. And um, I feel, I feel like that's, that's the truth for a lot of different content is, is kind of that, that narrow targeting uh, almost is like, I'm, you know, you pick a very, very specific demographic and that's who I'm going to make this content for. And it may only appeal to a hundred thousand people, but they're going to absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just because movies are so expensive. Mm-hmm. Movies are so fucking expensive. And, and, and this, like it's become such an industry where there's so many people that have put themselves in the system as far as like positions that are like, I am needed in the system and I made sure that I'm in the system. And the next thing you know, you're paying like fringes and you're paying high prices and you're paying all this sort of stuff. And you look at where like a million dollars goes and you're just like, so like legitimately before I get in front of the camera, what do I have? Like 200,000 now before like I get in front of the camera. So you, it, it's become such a, a bloated industry of, of people that are like taking cash from it that it's, it's really tough. And you're seeing it back on the podcast thing. You're yeah. seeing it with some of these podcast guys. Like a lot of the comedians are doing it really well. Like 
on Tom again and, and, and your mom's house, they've done such a really good job building um, a fan base. Like, I don't even know what their income is, but you look at like how many views they have per YouTube video. Mm-hmm. So like their fan base is so specifically tuned at this point. And they've done a really good job of having their fans engage them. So their fans are consistently creating content and creating memes and sharing memes, throwing memes around that those guys are willing to throw cash in. And I bet you if Tom and and that group wanted to make a movie, they could probably tailor that movie real hard to their core audience and do a Kickstarter or a fundraiser and probably make most of the cash that they need to do it at this point. So, um, that is definitely an option, but you look at those guys because as a podcaster, you're like, oh, I would like to get to that point. You know, I'd like to get to that point where the show's making good money and it's doing its thing. But then you have to look at the numbers, right? So those guys have been doing it for 10 years plus. Wow. Okay? And then they also were comedians that were being advertised on major networks. So like they were able to, to put their shows on Comedy Central or, or or HBO, and what came with those shows was the budget for advertising for those specials. Right. Whether that meant it was a billboard on the side of a bus, whether that meant that was an ad campaign on a radio thing. So they were garnering fans from that advertising, from that traditional advertising revenue, which stuck with them and kept going. And so. I don't think his show would be as popular as it is right now without him doing stuff for Netflix and without hmm. those huge specials on Netflix and him consistently being high on the Netflix stuff, which is its own sense of advertising, which then rolls back into his own stuff. So when you're just a, a regular average Joe trying to do your own podcast and you're not coming from that world, mm-hmm. Like if I got if one of my movies kicks and I go make that movie, then the podcast goes through the fucking roof because right. I then have all that advertising that is cross pollinating from the advertising money that they're spending on the movie. Hmm. So I don't know. So I, I'm actually it's an interesting point because I wanted to hit this this question from from YouTube. Um, Kyler Holland asks, do you think the concept of circular virality applies to podcasts, uh, meaning sharing it on all platforms, Insta, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts? Um, so I, I suppose to, to kind of broaden that question a bit, do you feel like there is something to be said about that sort of cross-pollination of um content like oh if it pops off on instagram then that's probably going to make people come to my youtube channel one would think dude like i have been trying so when i first started the youtube channel i would just go on the show and i would post all the time like i know and you hear me on the show because i speak candidly i know you're a lazy fuck like like all you have to do like you're on the phone right now you're not looking at anything because you're just listening to me so all you have to do is open up your YouTube app and click subscribe. And if you click subscribe on the YouTube app, if I get it to a thousand subscribers, I can then monetize my videos. So subscribe, even though you listen on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on YouTube to do this. And it's like dragging a five-year-old to the table and feeding him vegetables. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is like, I don't want it. It's like people are so zoned into like this, you know, lethargic state that it's very difficult. Hmm. Um, so 
Do I think that me being successful on on uh, Instagram helps me on YouTube? Sure, but I just don't understand how it works. Like, um, I mean, to me, it's it's largely just meeting people where they are. Um, See, so like yeah. Yeah, with you know with the the Apple Podcast versus uh, like YouTube comparison, like it might just be that that person primarily consumes their content through Apple Podcasts and and doesn't really touch YouTube, you know. Um, so I, I think I think that little, that little context matters too. Well, I also think that Apple Podcasts because we get a lot of reviews through Apple Podcasts, and it's because it's the easiest, laziest way to do the show. Like yeah. Tuesdays, you'll pick up your phone and it'll give you an alert and be like, oh. "Mike's talking about bullshit today," and you click on that thing and you just go, "Cool, I'm going to change out of my underpants." You know what I mean? Like, like it's there's no method to it, and I think that if you are subscribing on Spotify, you'll have your playlist on Spotify, so then you'll have to log into Spotify and then see your thing and go, oh, there's a new episode. Maybe I'll get to that. But then there's a hundred different reasons why you're going to get distracted between you clicking on that or recognizing that and seeing something else. As opposed to Apple Podcasts, where you just get an alert on your phone and go like, and it comes up on its own. Right. Like, hey, all right, bam. You know? So... It's fascinating. And with YouTube, it's different for me. I don't know if it's the same with you guys, but I'll have stuff that I watch regularly and then it creates its own algorithm for me and it creates its own brainless thing. Um, But then it'll just feed it to me. Like I'll just go on YouTube and be like, oh, there's a new your mom's house or oh, there's a new this or oh, there's a new that. And as long as I'm watching those things consistently, then they'll fill my feed. But as soon as I decide that I'm like, hey, I want to do some research on barbecue grills. And so then I start going down a hole on barbecue grills, then my whole algorithm changes. Yeah. And I could go weeks without knowing that there's a new episode that dropped for that person. Hmm. Unless I subscribe to them. But then you have to be a hardcore YouTube user to do the whole subscription thing. Right. Like that has to be your thing. Yeah. Where you're like, I'm a YouTuber. You know what I mean? And you're like, bam, 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 bam. But most average Joe asshole is just signing on to YouTube to watch a video link that someone sent them. Right, right. Huh. Oh, cool. Puppies that are, you know, they have three legs and cross eyes. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think to like to that person's question, like I I think you do I think you do have to distribute on on all channels. Um just because of the fact that like like I was saying, like everyone consumes content in different places. And it's all about meeting the right person at the right time at the right place. Um, so you do have to be continuing to put all of that content out there. But I don't think it's one of those situations where like rising tides lift all ships there. Right. Uh, because, you know, being being effective on, on YouTube isn't necessarily going to increase your um, uh, your follower count on Instagram. Yeah. I, I can tell you just from our most popular video on YouTube um, is like how to set up a hard drive or something. Right. It's like. It's got 45,000 views or something. No, it's over 100,000 views now. I get comments on it every single day. I guarantee nobody's going on to the articles on our website from that video. Like half a percent. They're not. That video is specific. Like Mm -hmm. I I would be like, how do I do this? And YouTube's really good for that. Like YouTube has become like that sort of shared consciousness as as a species that we've always wanted where it's like, I want to make a, I want to roast a chicken today. Right. I don't necessarily need to know how to roast a chicken. I could just go on YouTube and watch like two or three videos and just follow the instructions and then roast a fucking chicken, you know, it's the same thing with hard drives. So like, it's smart that you're doing posts like that, which is like, how do you install a graphics card? 
you know, because then you have that, that panicked guy that bought a graphics card that's not working on his motherboard, and he's like, go on YouTube, and then he's going on YouTube and then finding that thing, you know? Yeah. But that's something completely different. That's You're creating at that point almost instructional videos in order to tie people in, and you're not right. creating a, original content to tie people in. Mm-hmm. And I think that original content is still heavily reliant upon advertising yep. and heavily reliant upon word of mouth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. I have to agree, especially word of mouth. It's people. It, I think it kind of ties back to that. That that's such a weird word, virulosity. But it's it's getting people to share it when it's because like like you said, somebody will search how to, right? But when it's um. Uh, like a, a, a comedy show or something, that's not something you would probably organically search for. It would probably be your buddy. Hey, I, I stumbled across this. This is super funny. Um, yeah, totally. Or, or it's the other way where it's like, you know, Disney plus is advertising money. It's is, is through the roof. Like I have a Roku here and that's what I'm watching on the television. And my background on Roku all month has been the Mandalorian. Yep. It's just consistent. And you're like, no, you eventually you break down and they they're real clever about how they change their images all the time and you're just like i don't know if that's gonna be cool and then you see another image you go maybe that'll be cool and then you see it again you go uh, and then the, th- the fourth time you're like i'm gonna watch it okay i'll watch it you know it's, <laughs> it's that old advertising you know that's that's why i feel like it's so important to also control the distribution of the content um because if you can if you can control the distribution then like you were saying uh earlier where you know you go to that platform and then you get distracted by all these other things like you control that at that point you know and especially if you're relying heavily on on word of mouth anyway then screw the algorithm you don't really need it you know um if you're relying on word of mouth then you just send people to wherever that uh central point is that you're controlling that distribution um and then you're pushing people wherever it is that you want to push them yeah yeah. And then what you're trying to do, like the, the, I sort of miss specialized, there's still, they're still out there, but I miss specialized chat rooms. I miss specialized things because everybody's mm-hmm. sort of funneled all their attention and interest into like a couple like very major outlets like Instagram or, or whatnot. And, and then at that point you're in a sea of shit. You're just screaming for help. But like, I miss like the very sort of specialized go into a horror thread and then be a part of the horror thread. And Reddit still, to a certain extent, has that. But Reddit is also still very nerdy to to another extent. So like, yeah. you can't get you know the average listener. Um, you know, Joe Rogan's such an interesting person to look at as far as podcast stuff goes. And of course, Joe was the X Factor. He was like, right. uh, just shoot me. He was all these plus comedians. So he was on major network television and the UFC connections. So he was able to use a lot of that to pull his fans in. But um, there's a reason why, because he was incredibly successful, but there was a reason why he signed that deal with Spotify. And it's, it's not just for that cash. It's a good cash grab, but also Spotify advertises the shit out of stuff. So like right, right. he has billboard, was Spotify. That mm. was a Spotify billboard in Times Square. Yeah. Spotify decided that they were going to like B. Miller's new album. Before. It's a good album. It's probably why. But they were like, we're going to fucking make her artist of the fucking month or whatever it was. 
And the side effect of that was that it was put on a billboard in Times Square. And it's because the, those big companies will do that. So like Joe's smart. He knows yeah, that sure. like, not only is he going to make cash, but he's also in a limited deal with these guys. Mm-hmm. So he knows he's also going to get that entire audience base blown up. And then he's going to be able to take him back to his own fucking thing. You know? Yep. Dang. Yeah. It's, it's a move, dude. It's frustrating when you're in it and you're trying to do it and you're doing it legitimately. I've been frustrated multiple times where I'm like, this show should blow up. And people love the show. People love my podcast. Um, and oftentimes, like, this should blow up faster and this should be out there. And you spend so much time, like, trying to find ways to hit people and, and advertise to people and get people to do it. And um, at the end of the day, it's it's that advertising. Like, if, if I had cash for ads, then I'd just run a bunch of fucking ads and everybody would be like... Who is this guy? You got a couple of really great guests on the show, and then the next thing you know, you're good to go. Yeah. Right. Hmm. All right, we're we're a little bit over our time for normally we just keep this to an hour, but um, I like uh, you always have good insight into things, and so I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, uh, but we are we are going to say uh goodbye. Um, so thank you, Mike, for for joining us for our uh workflow Wednesday, and I want to thank the audience as well for joining us. Um, I hope you guys had a good time. Uh, I, I know we all did, so this was super cool. Um. We do this uh, Wednesdays and Fridays, 1 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Wednesdays, we bring like industry experts like uh, Mike onto the show to kind of talk about their perspective of things, process and tips and tricks and things. Uh, Friday, we bring on our members of our labs team to talk about more of the nerdy stuff, the hardware, hardware, software crossover, and kind of take some questions from you guys as well about that. So uh, mark your calendars for that. Uh, That's uh, Wednesdays and Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Yeah. Bye.